Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Paulette Jordan, Democratic nominee for governor of Idaho. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. Now, you're the first gubernatorial nominee we've had on the podcast. You won the Democratic primary with almost 60% of the vote. Congrats on that. What was the primary campaign experience like? And how has your general election campaigning differed so far? Yeah, it goes back to just being uh, all about the simple hard work uh, on the ground in the community, talking to folks. And every day we were speaking at uh, multiple events. Uh, We really maximized every minute of the day by uh, just making those direct connections, which really matters in elections uh, in Idaho. Because, you know, I'm I'm born and raised there and my land is there. And uh, really what it comes down to is the values and how connected we are. So talking to my neighbors, friends and uh, relatives in Idaho really just, um, it means it it makes a whole world of a difference when you do take the time to wholeheartedly uh, put yourself out there in the most vulnerable way to listen first and experience the stories uh, where you're actually, you know, sitting with single mothers or you're sitting with teenage youth uh, talking about their plight to success or the challenges that they face or sitting with their elderly or veterans and talking about their healthcare needs. So it's, um, it's really eye-opening at the same time because you, you grow with your community in the process. So you're not campaigning. You're trying to build a better community at the same time that you're, you're running for office. So your primary, like many throughout the country, was viewed as a test of where the party is going. Your opponent was considered the more centrist establishment pick, a white multi-millionaire who was the party's nominee in 2014, while you were the openly progressive younger pick. This is somewhat reminiscent of the ideological battle of the 2016 primary, where in Idaho, Bernie Sanders won the caucuses with almost 80% of the vote. How did you see this dynamic playing out in your primary? Oh, very different from even uh, Bernie Sanders' turnout uh, years ago. And I think the vast difference is that I'm from Idaho and being the only candidate that's essentially the the real American and the only uh, one from Idaho, you'll see that the people that were coming out in my uh, primary election weren't just Democrats. These were folks who were Republicans, who are independents and unaffiliated. Um, So they see me as not a politician and being unlike any voice that they've ever heard or being represented in government. They knew that there's there's something different, something special and unique. And they know that my message is very bold. And while it's a progressive message, the progressive part of it is just simply... The homegrown values, it's uh, not beholden to any party partisanship. It's not beholden to the single majority system that we see in Idaho currently. Pretty much all across all spectrums, whether young and old or a Mormon or evangelist or Catholic, uh, these were folks who believe in the, the campaign uh, based off the message that I was um, spreading around the state because they know uh, that my message is, again, it goes back to being unique to what Idaho stands for. And it's one of the most beautiful places in the country. And I, I always you know, say that Idaho is God's country. And people will say to me that, you know, that's why, you know, we have to protect it most. And I says, well, absolutely, because part of the message in the campaign is that even wealthy people don't want Kinder Morgan coming to Idaho. They don't want parks and forests ruined by industrialization. So it's a, it's a big reason why I'm very pro-green energy. It's in 
making sure that we are protecting our most um, vulnerable sustainable resources. So that message really carries across to both sides of the aisle. And the same with healthcare. You know, healthcare is not a partisanship issue. It goes down to the fact that Idaho has not expanded Medicaid yet. So whether you're a veteran or a senior or someone with any kind of health condition, you don't have access to healthcare. And when you're rural like me, rural America is the same as rural Idaho. We don't have access to the best education we can provide in Idaho, and we don't have access to rural health care. So me, I'm fighting for every man, woman, and child so that they can have access to you know, the, the prescriptions that they need, to the medicines that they need, the, and then also trying to bring alternative medicines for those folks who uh, want to address their ails. And again, people are not looking to address their, their concerns via the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. They're just saying... You know what, I have children to feed, uh, a future to fend for, and I want to make sure that I I keep my lights on and that at the end of the day we can afford to take our kids to a doctor or that I can receive health care. These are real needs of every Idahoan. The wealth disparity is is growing, but that's why we're going to work on addressing that as well. And so my voice is, again, very unique because we are not beholden to the, the, the corporations uh, the big businesses, big ag or big pharma, we're all about protecting the land, protecting the people, and ensuring that all the resources that they've expended via uh, their tax that's gone into the general fund goes back into the communities to reinvest into our future and into their current lives to be more sustainable. Hey, everybody. This is Nathan from Millennial Politics. We're going to take a quick break because we want to tell you about our new sponsor. A new company called C-Note is an award-winning social enterprise that has created a new way to save where you can earn up to 35 times more on your savings, all while increasing economic opportunity in local communities across America. The average C-Note customer earned an extra $400 last year compared to traditional savings products. So not only do you earn more with C-Note, but every dollar that you invest drives positive social impact. So instead of funding big bank bonuses, your money is going to help female and minority entrepreneurs start small businesses, build affordable housing, and support other community development projects. With C-Note, you earn up to 2.5% while building a more inclusive economy, one community investment at a time. Sign up today at mycnote.com slash politics. Again, that's my, the letter C, note, N-O-T-E dot com slash politics. And know that C-Note does not charge any fees. There are no minimums. And sign up take less than five minutes. Check them out. There's this image that's been painted of rural America by the media since the Trump election that it's all conservative, it's all white. You clearly have a more nuanced view and understanding of rural America, even in a conservative state. Could you tell us what you see on the campaign trail and why the stereotypes aren't true? Yeah, I, I completely agree major stereotypes. We're, we're very diverse, in fact. We are one of the most diverse parts of the country in the rural portions of America. And we see that now, and I see that because I'm from those parts of the region. In my community, we, we definitely have you know a broad uh, a range of cultures, uh, people of color, minorities who, you know, not just um, in culture, but in creed, uh, young and old, 
you will see that the diversity uh, ranges really far and wide. So whether it's uh, the religious faith and the diversity amongst that, or it's uh, the LGBTQ uh, community, which is very diverse there, and then you have the, the people of color, where there's a tribal, non-tribal uh, in Idaho. And I, you know, we, we definitely have a, a very powerful voice because the voice is so sincere and um, so honest to the community itself. You know, in rural areas where, you know, we are it. We have to rely on one another. And I come from a very strong ag community where my family, we are agriculturalists. And so we are folks who are fiercely independent, you know, but yet we are also good about being good neighbors. So when people need us, you know, we, we are there to fend for each other. And uh, I think that's what's most beautiful about Idaho is the rural components of it, because it's that heritage that we want to continue to, to perpetuate. It's this heritage of not only being independent, but self-sufficient, you know, working hard, uh, but yet being about the greater good so that we're working together to build community. And that's beautiful to me. But yet, you know, this is a, it's certainly a rare message in politics. I think when people are looking at uh, why we fight for our land and what we want to protect of it, it's ensuring that we have, you know, a, a land that we can uh, hand off to our children because it's not ours. You know, my, my culture, my background does not believe that we own land. You know, this is our responsibility to be good stewards of today so that we can actually have something for our, our children to inherit in the future because this land belongs to them. So it is my responsibility to ensure that they have clean air and clean water. And that's a rural value system, making sure that we are able to have uh, food security so that the, the food is healthy and able to replenish and nourish our kids and our, our community. So it's, I think these are the, the homegrown ideals that we want to be uh, carried over into our political system. And that's the message that I, I fight for because when I'm in the state house, having been a two-term representative, I wasn't seeing that. I wasn't seeing the voices of the people being carried over into the state house. I was seeing messages from big corporations and you know, groups like Monsanto and, and others who were definitely uh, drowning out those voices. And it's problematic because then you have this uh, corruption of politics that isn't sincere to the people. And when you're not sincere to the people, then government just doesn't work. It's broken. And then now I come into play to fix it. So this rural voice, rural America, is certainly as diverse as possibly can be. It's direct, honest, independent. We fight for freedom. You know, this is why uh, we honor our veterans so much because the, when we send our people off to defend our country, this is what it's about. You know, we want to protect those type of values, and, uh, and you know, we're we're constantly under attack in that way. You know, you you have people who definitely want to buy off uh, our representatives, and you have uh, these challenges where the again the the policies that are in the state house are not directly relevant to the people. They don't uh, work for our lives. They don't allow us to be free. And so rural America and the rural Idaho components that I represent, you know, this is the voice that we have, and this is the voice that we want to project in the state house. So once I'm governor, we will definitely see uh, a lot of those protections put in place so that people have local governance. We have uh, local option tax. People can build community again. We can see small businesses thrive in rural Idaho once again. And then the voices of the people are at the table in the governor's office, in the state house, because they belong there, that's theirs. Could you tell us more about your experience in the state house? What did you see there and what were your greatest achievements? 
You know, I see a lot of division because it is a, it's a super majority. There's a single party majority system uh, right now, and it's been that way for decades. And the challenge is there's no balance of voices. There's no diversity. And we have this lack of diversity. You have this lack of representation. We have a, you know, a great, um, you know, area of our, our state that, you know, is underrepresented and that's that's the challenge is that then they're fighting against the lobbyists you have the people who are then being blocked from having a voice in legislation legislation that directly impacts them or whether it's you know how that with schools their children go to you know the opportunities that they should have from pre-k on to higher education and then you have them being blocked from access to health care you know that we have not again expanded medicaid so then there are 62,000 plus people in Idaho without health care. And then you have veteran services, veterans who have not been addressed in our state. And we have a high population base of veterans. They don't have a voice. And then same with, uh, our, you know, we have refugees, we have the immigrant community, and uh, there's, they're under attack. I mean, we have ICE that has been given uh, more authority, and the, the support that should be there is lacking. So there's a, a high discrepancy with racial profiling. And, you know, these are, this is in Idaho where people are attacking poor folks. We're, we're making our poor poorer. Our middle class is shifting downward, and we're not uh, offering opportunities to the people all across the board as we should. We do have, however, have a, a growing uh, boom tech sector, which, a booming tech sector that uh, is, would be um, best met if we were able to train our people, educate them to meet those jobs needs. We had 7,000 unfilled tech jobs alone last year. And those unfilled jobs, however, could have been met if we would have been able to prepare for, for that need. So we have a vastly growing population. Idaho, in fact, is one of the fastest growing states in the nation. And with that growing population base, we're not able to optimize every single resource Idaho has to offer to ensure that people are connecting into that. So being in the state house, I could see that, you know, we have some, we have a great energy sector. We have an abundance of natural resources and yet we're not able to connect uh, all of these specific arenas from tourism to ag to energy, uh, even our forest to the people to ensure that we are uh, spreading all of that uh, not only the opportunity, but the wealth, the jobs, and the education to the best suit the needs of each community. You know, whether it's uh, you know plugging in big business or businesses to our local resource institutions, and to the, then to the people to offer jobs or educational opportunities. Those connections need to be made. So when when you're in the state house, you see that happening. Uh, for me, it was this the division and the the party politics, uh, which really hurts the people at home because they're. They're not able to vote and be a voice for themselves because you have a governor, you have uh, a legislative base that uh, has not uh, allowed them to have the space and a governor that has denied them that right, which we need to fix. And, you know, we have a current governor that uh, certainly sits in his office but does not take the time to listen to the voices of the people. And so we don't have Medicaid and we don't have universal or an opt-in universal pre-K program and we definitely don't have uh, the educational programs that we need to transition our people from high school to, uh, which is voc tech training to, you know, these these uh, uh, professional jobs in tech in the tech industry, uh, or into healthcare. So we have to do better. And in being in the state house, this is what I see. 
you know, and, and if you have these ideologies that are constantly playing into politics and playing into legislation, then our state is only going to continue moving backwards. We will now never move forward if these ideologies continue to stifle growth within our state. Hey, everybody. This is Nathan from Millennial Politics. We're going to take a quick break because we want to tell you about our new sponsor. A new company called C-Note is an award-winning social enterprise that has created a new way to save where you can earn up to 35 times more on your savings, all while increasing economic opportunity in local communities across America. The average C-Note customer earned an extra $400 last year compared to traditional savings products. So not only do you earn more with C-Note, but every dollar that you invest drives positive social impact. So instead of funding big bank bonuses, your money is going to help female and minority entrepreneurs start small businesses, build affordable housing, and support other community development projects. With C-Note, you earn up to 2.5% while building a more inclusive economy, one community investment at a time. Sign up today at mycnote.com slash politics. Again, that's my, the letter C, note, N-O-T-E dot com slash politics. And know that C-Note does not charge any fees. There are no minimums. And sign up take less than five minutes. Check them out. I'd like to talk about ICE, which has come under increased scrutiny recently, not just because of the cruelty of the Trump administration, but also because of its horrific actions under Obama's presidency. As governor, you would not be able to vote about ICE in Congress as it is a federal issue, but you would have the ability to push ICE out of your state, as has occurred in my home state of Connecticut. Is this something you aim to do? especially given that the Salt Lake region, which includes Idaho, has seen a massive spike in ICE arrests and deportations over the past two years, with over 5,000 undocumented Americans being arrested in 2017 alone. Yeah, first of all, that is a dehumanizing process to address any kind of issue in that way. I think when you are able to take away from humanity by breaking up families and separating parents from children, you definitely need to take a hard look at yourself and why you're doing that. So as governor, this is a, a conversation that we definitely will have um, once we're in office. And we want to make sure that we are being responsible and holding folks accountable, but yet being fair. And we're not fair at this point in time. So I want to make sure that we do have this conversation and we're able to build the best solution moving forward. So what would you do as governor to support and protect your undocumented neighbors? That's, again, another conversation we have to figure out that is the best solution moving forward. The, there was a representative from the Republican Party who brought forth a bill to take away the tax resources for any city that decided to become a sanctuary city. So preempting local control. I disagree with that. And as the only indigenous person in the room, I thought there was a lot of hypocrisy in that path. And so I, I fought against it in committee. I was actually the only no vote in committee. And why I felt that that was unnecessary is if a local community decides to uh, defend you know, the, the folks who are working, whether documented or undocumented, these are people within our community who are still contributing to a tax base and working hard and and wanting to be a part of a local society. And as long as they're not harming anyone, these are people who are contributing, working, 
then let's support them. Let's build a pathway forward for them to uh, have a clear line of citizenship. So my ultimate goal is to ensure that folks who want to come into Idaho and contribute to the greater good in a positive way, they should have access to this pathway to citizenship in Idaho. They should have access to a license so that they can get the insurance so that they're safe on the roads. They should have access to education so that we can educate their children as well so that their children become continuing functions of our society. So we want to continue to create this healthy, positive uh, system of growth versus the negative. And tearing families apart uh, based off the color of their skin is not good. That's not the, the future that I see for Idaho. So I, I definitely want to put these uh, sideboards in place that are, are protecting our communities and uh, optimizing local control and ensuring that the, the people are protected, but also um, just ensuring that those who need the, the opportunities to, to grow and contribute to society, whether they're paying taxes or um, trying to get to and from work, you know, those, uh, those portions are in place. And of course, our DACA students and want to protect them uh, and make sure that they have access to education. And this is our future. These are children. Um, so I, I see a definite difference in my governance versus our current governor. Something I'm curious is about how you're campaigning as a progressive in Idaho, because your state hasn't elected a Democratic governor since 1990 and went for Trump over Clinton by 31.6 points in 2016. Now, your primary opponent did try to avoid civil rights, which have been turned into, you know, quote unquote, culture war issues. But you are a firm supporter of of LGBTQ rights, racial justice, and reproductive freedom. What does campaigning look like? Again, it's not campaigning. It's just getting to the community, building community while we're working our way to the governor's office. It's sincere. You got to be humble and direct to the people. If you are ignoring their, their concerns, you're not building good government. And when we're not really opening our, ourselves in that way to listen, first and foremost, to the people, then we've already lost. And that's how I see it when it comes to um, those who are in office now. They, they've lost and they continue to fail the people. The people have been lied to. They, they have been offered promises that have not been kept. And that's been going on for decades in Idaho. We have a current governor who has made promises that he has not kept. And when you deceive the people, the people will wake up. But it's our responsibility to ensure that we are waking up our entire state of Idaho, people who have not voted. Um, you know, and really the differences are that it's going to come down to my greatest opponent, which is the fact that we don't have health care and we don't have education and that we are attacking public lands in our environment. So we need to make sure that we're addressing all of those concerns that uh, ail our society overall to, to get back to why we're going to build an education or universal pre-K healthcare care and then um, basically uh, pre-K to 16 and getting to healthcare so that we have uh, opportunities for our people to, uh, to receive access to not just world-class education, but um, affordable health care. There's opportunities in our state uh, that, that are there, and I want to make sure that all of our people have this connection to prosper. And it doesn't come down to parties or this, this partisanship uh, way of uh, directing our message to people. It's just homegrown. And, you know, I've never been uh, any kind of politician in any, any way. And I, I'm really thankful because this is the, 
the heritage that I stem from. They're above and beyond all of that. And when you come from a lineage that is thousands of years old, uh, that is directly connected to this land, you can show the people that there is another way. It doesn't have to be so divisive. And this is why I think that whether you're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Independent, you can find a place within this campaign or within uh, our position to, to be governor. And this role of leadership, being the next chief executive office uh, CEO, uh, certainly has been one line for us because, you know, really when people thought about this, well, what about Congress and what about this or that? I said, well, the best way to really change our state is by keeping our message directly connected to the land and the people. It's all about independence. It's about our heritage. It's about uh, local control and slimming down our government for the benefit of the people. This is why I see that this is progressive in Idaho, but maybe it's a different message somewhere else in the, across the country. So for Idaho, for all of us here in Idaho, and me being the, the rare Idahoan, the lone Idahoan in this, in this conversation, um, I will tell folks that this is why we're above the party system. This is why we're above the, the politics and the division, the divisiveness that we see locally and nationally. And we're now getting back to creating community again and uh, unifying our state for the better. So there are a great deal of Republicans who are invested in the campaign, who are volunteering, and who have already voted. So that, to me, is progress. And this is the progressive action that we're taking. And if you're someone who maybe disagrees with 1% of the 99% the of the, all the issues, then you know that's something that we can handle. And if you are someone who has a, maybe one issue that you want to stick to, then you know, there's also definitely a, this is one more area where I would encourage people to take a hard look at what we represent, what I represent, and what I'm standing for, because it's it's just simple freedom. It's simple independence and the ability to make decisions for ourselves that do that collectively, and all for the greater good. So I'd love to hear more about progressive priorities in your state. Some of the issues that come to mind are tuition-free public education, Medicare for all, a clean green economy, and a $15 minimum wage. Are these proposals you support? And how do you hope to create this unity you're talking about with a conservative legislature that might not necessarily be on your side on all issues? Well, we have a current governor that definitely could not get his uh, legislative body, which is in the supermajority, I meaning they, they control the House and the Senate, uh, and still has not had the ability to get them to do what he what's on his agenda. So you you can't divide uh, someone based off of whatever their message is to say that they can or cannot be effective. So even with the supermajority system, they've done very little, uh, even with the Republican governor at the top. Uh, so me coming in, the, the challenges aren't the same that you might think. I think the, the challenges will be shifting conversations um, in a way that is not only holistic, but will make greater sense, because everything that I presented is always about common sense. Uh, I pushed a bill to decriminalize marijuana in our state, because what I was seeing was an overpopulation of our prison system, which was not... Uh, best benefiting the people of Idaho where we were not about family values. We were breaking apart communities, sending our people to prison, whether it's a, a drug addiction or something minor, and overflowing jails, overflowing our hospital beds, uh, which could be utilized in 
other ways. And that we're expending taxpayer dollars to other states through private prison contracts. So doing what we're doing now doesn't work. And if that continues to recycle itself into the future, our state will continue to go downhill as we are now. So we, we really need to start um, closing all these gaps, which is let's make sure that we are uh, being smart about how we're investing our taxpayer dollars, which is the people's money, and make sure that we're not investing it into prison systems and that we're taking those dollars and investing it into early education. Because early intervention is really the key here. Early intervention means uh, allowing families who, regardless of what they make, have opportunities for education, that they have access to a world-class public education system. And this is what the people of Idaho are talking about. So whether you're a mother of two or a single father or a married household, you're looking at what is a, what educational system in Idaho can I send my kids to, uh, whether it's private or charter or public school. You know, these, these families are, are homeschooling. You know, they're looking at the best ways to educate their child so that they can compete into the future. And this is, a, this is a new day and age where our kids are competing in the global market. So they need to adjust to the future of work. And we need to help shepherd them to get there, to be the leaders of tomorrow. So when I'm governor, this is, a, this is part of my platform. This is the message that I talk about because these are the voices that I hear in all the stories, in all the families, whether there's rural farming community or ranching community to... Uh, suburban area or in, within the inner cities, I'm hearing the same message, which is access to the best education we can provide. So we need to invest more in our education system to ensure that all the resources are there so that our kids can go off and achieve their dreams and attain what it is that they're, they're here for. And same with those who, you know, we spoke of healthcare. You know, one of the biggest issues I felt uh, that I was hearing in, in um, both rural and urban parts of Idaho is that, you know, they want affordable health care. So in my message is definitely to, uh, I've, I've been promoting universal health care since I started. I, I come from a background of medical providers and my relatives have pushed for the CHIP program in Arizona and now they're up here pushing to expand uh, access to Medicaid for all. So we want to make sure that we, we are looking at the best ways we can expand taxpayer resources that benefit the people and not take away from them. So, yes, yeah, universal health care would be great. As a governor, I definitely would lobby for this on behalf of um, the Governor's Association within and hoping to promote this state-by-state -state process. Um, but you can do what you can in Idaho, and right now that would be to ensure that everyone has access to health care, regardless of their income. And, you know, you talked about the, the minimum wage. Minimum wage in itself it needs to be improved in Idaho. We are still at seven twenty-five an hour. Most people, we are the highest uh, minimum wage job in the country. We have the highest minimum wage jobs in the country. So we are number one in minimum wage jobs, but yet we don't offer a ton of professional jobs for people to come into Idaho for us to retain our greatest resources to stay in our state to make um, you know the greatest salary, have the the you know the most professional physicians. Uh, we have some great institutions in Idaho, however, like the Idaho National Laboratory. We have multiple colleges and universities. We are growing, in, and like I said before, the, the tech sector. Uh, however, we need to start educating our people to, uh, you know, to basically be plugged into those, those jobs. So we're working on it, and this is where I would see us investing more into that arena so that we have 
um, basically a, a tech sector or a vocational training program that would help our young people go into this pipeline so that they can come out professionals in these fields, you know, engineers, we need more doctors. We have, we are 50th in the country when it comes to pediatricians. Um, so we need to make sure that we are sending our people off into these areas where there's greater needs, but we have to attract them there. And just same with our teachers. You know, we, we haven't done much for our teachers in the state. We have a governor who uh, has not um, pushed a program forward in education that would support our teachers for not only growing them in, uh, in their base, but supporting them and to offset their costs for tuition or to raise their salaries so that they have uh, fair pay, which is what they need. And it, it does come down to the liberal wage issue that we have in Idaho. Uh, I basically co-sponsored a bill a few years back in the legislative session to raise the wage via uh, the consumer price index so that we can start by um, slowly increasing that minimum wage. And that would not sticker shock the, the small businesses in Idaho who would get hit harder. But we want to make sure that we're working with them and that the businesses uh, are at the table that, so that their voice is part of this process all along the way. And, and as governor, I want to make sure that we are addressing that livable wage, increasing it to benefit both those being employed and the employers you know, so the businesses can grow as well. But you have, uh, you'll have growth if you do raise the wage. And that will happen in rural parts of Idaho. We have to get there together. So the progressive message that I have certainly um, being about women's rights and you know promoting balance in our society. And you know when I announced back in December, December seventh, I said that this under my term, we will not tolerate discrimination of any form. And I mean that because we will not tolerate it. And we have people in Idaho who are being discriminated against. And so we have to ensure that we are we are put someone who will be at the top, who will lead the state into a zero tolerance state. And I will make sure that that happens once I'm governor. So if elected, you would be the first Native American governor in United States history. What does that mean to you? It's a humbling position to be in. I think uh, for all of us, uh, when I see our young people, most importantly, they're the they're the ones who I'm here to fight for. So when their light, light, you know, their light comes on, their their eyes glow, and you know, I can see the fascination. And that, to me, is the the reason why we're running. You know, we're we're we want to inspire our young people, our next generation, because they're the future. They're the ones that we have to start grooming now, and ensuring that we have leadership that will continue to fight for all that is right into the future. I think. And I see these young people, and I think that's why, for me, it's, this is the, the greatest opportunity is to continue to mentor them as we're continuing to grow into different levels of office and fighting for the people, building a message. And we have to continue working with them, mentoring them, educating them, like I said before, shepherding them to leadership. So it's a major honor, and I, I love to see that we're breaking barriers, being the first woman in the state of Idaho to be governor. and the age that I am, my generation, uh, being the first of my generation, and then also, yes, being indigenous and, and setting that, um, you know, breaking that barrier, but setting that pathway so that others can see that as an example and, and utilize that as a you know, motivation to inspire them to do more and to do better. So I, I really do feel humbled and honored just to be in this position to do that. 
And lastly, if folks are interested in learning more about you or getting involved in the campaign, where can they find you online? They can go to jordanforgovernor.com. Uh, we have a web store, store.jordanforgovernor.com. We have uh, multiple outlets. We have the Facebook page, Jordan for Governor. We have Twitter, which is um, my direct Twitter account that I also messages uh, from time to time, which is Paulette E. Jordan. And then I have a, an Instagram page, which is Paulette underscore Jordan. So we try to keep in touch with our folks uh, in all, always all avenues possible. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This is great. I look forward to the final outcome. Yes, me too. So to our listeners, subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co. Follow us on social media and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening. (music) 